Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Governor Tim Walz signed several bills into law this week that were passed during the 2019 legislative session. One of the bills puts new guidelines in place on the use of solitary confinement in Minnesota prisons. We're really proud to, uh, to update this and I think move Minnesota forward as it comes to uh, modernizing our correction system and dealing with mental health issues. The changes came about after reports of inmates spending months, even years, in solitary confinement. It would require the Department of Corrections to route cases of inmates with mental health issues to treatment and create clear pathways for inmates to return to the general population. The Department of Corrections would be required to track the number of inmates in solitary confinement and how many days they spend there. The Minnesota chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Health says 17,500 inmates spent time in solitary confinement over the past decade. Of those, more than 1,600 spent at least six months in segregation, and 437 were isolated for a year or longer. Governor Walz says he's open to calling a special session to deal with the skyrocketing cost of insulin. The governor hosted a roundtable on the topic at the Capitol this week. Last month, the legislature failed to include the Emergency Insulin Act in the final versions of the Health and Human Services budget bill. Patients and families who rely on the drug say they need a solution. It's this exhausting thing that you can't even get the medication you need. And then, furthermore, you just can't afford it. It's increased 1,200% in 20 years. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says a bill passed recently that should lower prices on all prescription drugs. He says he's open to a bill dealing specifically with insulin if there's agreement between legislators, patients, doctors, and pharmacists. But he also says insulin should not be used as a, quote, divisive political tool. Minnesota Senator and Democratic presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar made the cut for participating in the first primary debates later this month. Klobuchar and nine other candidates will take part in the first night of debates, June 26th, in Miami. The remaining 10 will take part on night two, June 27th. Klobuchar and 18 other Democratic presidential candidates made their cases to voters in Iowa last week. And if we don't think we can win in the Midwest with a Midwesterner heading our ticket, I have four words for you. Former Governor Scott Walker. This is a moral moment in America, and we must meet this test. The only thing we can do is to look at that show that this president's created, whatever you want to call it, reality show, horror show, game show, and we're going to change the channel to something completely different. Former Vice President Joe Biden was absent from that large gathering, but he did campaign in Iowa a few days later. The Iowa caucuses, by the way, are eight months away. There's little doubt that Minnesota will be a presidential battleground state in 2020. We'll also have a U.S. Senate race on the ballot and at least four hotly contested U.S. House races. And there will be 201 races that will determine control of the Minnesota legislature. President Trump was in the Twin Cities in April later followed by Vice President Pence. It's likely a sign of things to come. There are very few states that offer as many pickup opportunities for Democrats and Republicans. Certainly Donald Trump has made it clear he's going to be visiting, he's going to be raising money for both his campaign for president and re-election, but also for Republican congressional candidates. The big four congressional races of 2018 
will be hot races again in 2020. Republican Jim Hagedorn won by less than a half percentage point. Democrat Angie Craig and Republican Pete Stauber each won by five and a half points. Only Democrat Dean Phillips won by a big margin, but he's the first Democrat to win the third district since 1961, and Republicans will fight to win it back. When you head into a presidential election year, the turnout's higher, the money spent is more, and there's a bit more unpredictability. Minnesota will again attract big outside spending in 2020. A record-smashing $41 million was spent on congressional races in 2018, breaking records of $27 million and $21 million set the previous two elections. There's also a U.S. Senate race for Tina Smith. And sources say Republicans Karen Housley and Jason Lewis could both seek to replace her. Then there's Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who could face a primary challenge after multiple controversies. Is Congresswoman Omar heading to a situation where Democrats may take her on in a primary in her district come 2020? But a primary challenge against Omar would be unlikely to succeed. No House Democrat has ever lost a primary race in Minnesota history. But we've never really had a political climate quite like we do now. Even though the 2020 elections are a year and a half away, Minnesota's Secretary of State says that will be enough time to enhance voter database security with new federal money just made available. He also says he'll continue fighting a law that could in some ways jeopardize how secret your ballot will be in Minnesota's presidential primary. The House stands adjourned. Signe die. By the time the Minnesota legislature finished its work in May, lawmakers made key decisions about the 2020 elections, including authorizing millions in election cybersecurity money that is already being put to use. This 20-point plan is a good blueprint and a good roadmap, and we are now executing that plan. Secretary of State Steve Simon says his office went to work immediately using $6.6 million in federal election money. It will be used for new software and training in the short term. Longer term, they'll be modernizing the voter database, which includes hiring cybersecurity experts. The work will be focused on protecting voter registration data. He says Minnesota's actual balloting system is not as vulnerable as some states. We didn't go in for this touchscreen voting with no paper trail or receipt that some states did, a good dozen and a half states did a while ago. We've never done that. We have a bipartisan consensus in the state for paper, paper, paper. It's, it's a great example of low-tech actually beating high-tech. Simon was less successful on another front. The legislature declined to change a law that will allow political parties to get lists of which presidential primary voters participated in, although he did succeed in keeping that information from being made available to the general public. I count that as a victory for Minnesotans. It could have been a lot worse, but in my perfect world, nobody would see it. I don't think it's anyone's business what someone's affiliation is. Even though the voter data won't technically be public data, the fact that it will be released to major political parties could make that law open for challenge. Simon says he will try one more time to eliminate that part of the law in the next session, which starts just a few weeks before the 2020 presidential primary in Minnesota. The federal government is working to help Minnesotans after a brutal year of flooding, blizzards, and wicked wind. This past week, President Donald Trump approved the federal funds for 51 counties and four tribal nations 
in Minnesota. Governor Wall says the storms have caused nearly $40 million in damage to state infrastructure alone. Last August, a major 911 emergency call outage resulted in hundreds of calls being dropped in Minnesota over a network operated by CenturyLink. This week, the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission took steps to improve reporting of outages with hopes of preventing them in the future. We want you to press these guys going forward so that we don't have 911 failures in the future. Public Utilities Commissioners had pointed exchanges with representatives from CenturyLink and the Departments of Commerce and Public Safety. We're on the phone with them constantly. We've had a number of face-to-face -face meetings. We had just went through a tabletop exercise. Mr. Top, we're not here to give you a gold star for doing what you should have been doing before. PUC Chairwoman Katie Sieben and other commissioners expressed disapproval about what happened. There were 693 dropped 911 calls on August 1st. It happened over a 65-minute span that afternoon. Only one-third of 911 calls were successfully completed. There was a gigantic failure here on the part of CenturyLink or their contractor for the failure that occurred in, on August 1st of 2018. The Department of Public Safety says there was no serious harm resulting from the outage but there could have been, so the PUC adopted new reporting requirements about 911 outages. We're pretty much, I think, all on the same page, but we need to take steps to make sure what happened doesn't happen again and that uh, failures in the 911 system are as infrequent as possible and remedied as quickly as possible. The PUC voted unanimously to require CenturyLink to meet more regularly with the Department of Public Safety. They also have to submit reports explaining what's been done to improve the 911 system. Minnesota isn't the only state where CenturyLink has had issues. In fact, Minnesota and several other states had outages again this past December. Coming up, Annette Meeks and Mike Erlinson will be here for political analysis. We'll discuss the latest controversy engulfing Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and find out why a Minnesota Supreme Court justice is planning to step down from the bench next year. A Minnesota Supreme Court justice is planning to step down after revealing he has Parkinson's disease. Justice David Lillehog says he won't seek re-election and will resign in July of next year. Lillehog says the disease is at an early stage and he feels great, so it will give Governor Tim Walz time to think about a replacement. And this gives Governor Waltz um, something unexpected, which is his first opportunity to place somebody on the Minnesota Supreme Court, where I think most people weren't thinking this was going to happen for a while. Lillehug is a former U.S. attorney in Minnesota, appointed by President Clinton in 1994. He was appointed to Minnesota's high court in 2013. State campaign finance officials say Congresswoman Ilhan Omar filed joint tax returns with her current husband before they were legally married. The Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board says Omar was married to another man when she filed those joint returns in 2014 and 15. Omar and her current husband were not legally married until 2018. Last week, she was ordered to pay a $500 fine for campaign finance violations and to repay her campaign about $34 hundred dollars in improperly used campaign money. It is unclear whether the IRS will investigate these tax issues. 
think unclear is the <laughs> word that comes to mind when we discuss Congresswoman <laughs> Ilan Omar in all of these various issues. Joining me now uh, for political analysis, Annette Meeks and Mike Erlinson. Thank you both uh, for being here. Uh, let's talk first about uh, Justice Lillehaug. Uh, he's been a longtime public servant, and we'll be sad to see him go. Uh, Parkinson's, you've had some experience with that in your family. Sadly, I have. Both my mother and my father passed away from complications of Parkinson's disease. And there was just a report released late last week about uh, the cost to both government, private insurance, and families, which is $52 billion annually just in the United States. It's a horrible disease, and we wish him well and hope that he has many good years. And the good news is he says he feels great. And many times it, it can take many years before it, it becomes more debilitating. So he wants to get out and do a little traveling, it sounds good for like. Him. Well, yeah, good for him, exactly. I mean, as you said, he has served our state well. He has served the federal government well um, and really just been a stellar individual and member of the community. So we wish David all the best um, as he battles this unfortunate situation. All right, and another year left on the Supreme Court for David Littlehawk. Now let's uh, talk about uh, Ilan Omar. Uh, she can't stay out of the headlines. Uh, this campaign finance uh, complaint had been out there for uh, quite some time. This comes on the heels of many comments she's made, controversial comments about Israel. Uh, where does this go, Annette? Republicans, of course, you know, they want there to be something to happen here, but what? Well, I think everybody, every every taxpayer deserves an explanation of what's going on. And I don't know how you get, how you file income taxes with one man that you're not married to while you're married to another. And she just owes everyone in the 5th District a complete explanation of what was going on so that she can put some of this stuff behind her. I don't know that she'll ever stop saying wildly controversial and anti-Semitic things, but at least explain the, the basics of, of American citizenship. I paid my taxes, and here's the mistake that was made. And the IRS uh, does not uh, ever disclose whether they're investigating someone, but you almost have to believe that there's got to be some sort of an, uh, of an investigation here. But politically it's hard to do anything because she's in a district Mike that is so solidly DFL that there's little chance she could ever lose whether it be a primary or a general election well the way you lose a seat like the fifth congressional district is to run into trouble with the IRS or to run in trouble with the campaign finance board and she's had that and she has ongoing investigations as far as we know we don't know for sure right and those things are not good for any political candidate and if it wasn't the fifth congressional district minnesota uh... there would be probably people in her own party asking for her to step aside or asking for her to explain more uh, than what she has had to at to date, right? So, you know, it's a very unfortunate situation, um, but these are legal issues and they are matters of, in this case, either the Campaign Finance Board, which has finished their investigation, and the IRS that has already fined her, and so that explaining will be difficult for her. Um, and whether that and other things all compounded together create an opportunity for somebody else in the Democratic Party to step, for, step forward will really be the question. Yeah, because she won by, I think, 50-some points uh, last time around. So it, if she's going to lose that seat, it's going to be in a primary, not in a general uh, election. Uh, let's talk in the last minute we have left. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, says or will participate in the first night of debates uh, Annette, she is not going to be on the stage with Biden and Sanders, the perceived frontrunners right now. I think that's probably best for her, and I also think it's so far in advance of, of everything that will happen next year. I believe February, the first week of February is the Iowa caucuses, so this is going to be kind of a beauty contest and give her an opportunity to come forward and maybe rise up out of those one and two percents that she keeps pulling. How much could this winnow the field, though, to at least start narrowing the number of candidates? 
Well, I don't see this as winnowing the field a lot, right? I think, as Annette said, this is an opportunity for Amy to shine in a debate against her colleagues, uh, something that she has to do, right? The good news for Democrats is the polls that came out over the course of the last couple of days show six or seven candidates beating Donald Trump by seven to ten points at this point in time. So that's good news, and the Democrats just have to figure out over the next couple hundred days who's going to be their horse. Just one other real quick issue, uh, solitary confinement. We talked about it at the top of the show. How important is that in terms of getting that issue right? I think it's an important first step. I think the second step is we have to start understanding why some of these inmates have been put in solitary confinement, and generally it's untreated mental illness. Is this a good move? I think it's a good move, and I would agree with Annette. It's just something that has to be done on this, and it has to be thoroughly investigated. And then if policies need to be changed, we've got to change them in earnest. All right. Mike Ernst and Annette Meeks, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Up next, Andrea Makros and Brian McDaniel will be here for Face Off. We'll focus on President Trump's controversial interview with ABC News. We'll be back in two minutes. Trying to prevent another foreign government interfering in the 2020 elections has been a big issue on Capitol Hill. But President Trump raised plenty of eyebrows this week when he told ABC's George Stephanopoulos that he may welcome dirt on a political opponent from a foreign government. It's our quote of the week. If somebody called from a country, Norway, we have information on your opponent. Oh, I think I'd want to hear it. You want that kind of interference in our elections? It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI. There you heard it straight from the president. Joining me now for face-off, Andrea Makros and Brian McDaniel. Thank you both for being here. I know you're wondering what dirt the Norwegian government <laughs> yes. has on yes. the Democratic <laughs> candidates. But what do you make of this? I know the next day he called into Fox and Friends in, in trying to walk back these comments a little bit. Is it, again, just one of these off-the-cuff moments where the president doesn't understand the ramifications of what he's saying? Well, first of all, there's seemingly no bright line in politics that this president won't cross. And second, this is an especially complicated one, given that he has a sordid history of this exact issue as we're still continuing to pull apart the Mueller report. So not the wisest words. I, I hope that it's not true for our democracy's sake, for our country's sake. I hope that it's not true. Um, his attempts to walk it back haven't really worked. Um, so I think there's a real issue that we have to look at here. Is it part of this, I, I think the way the question was formed, you know, would you call the FBI? I think we all know how the president feels about the FBI. He doesn't want to give them any credence at all. Finally, mm -hmm. at the end, he said, well, you know, depending upon what it is, maybe I'd call the FBI. Again, was this just one of those off-the-cuff things where uh, people are, are putting too much stock in what he said? I mean, I think that some people are going to defend anything he says and some people are going to nitpick everything he says and, and blow it up to the nth degree. Yes, I think these were not wise words. Um, you know, one would hope that if he got this information, he would bring it to the FBI. Um, I've been doing this 20 years. I've yet to meet a politician pure enough that if they got information, they wouldn't look at it. So I'm not going to chastise him too much on this. But the law is the law. And you're not allowed to take anything of value from a foreign power. So, you know, this is something that, you know, might be developing law, but it's certainly something that, that he should have learned from, from very recent history, and maybe hasn't. And there is certainly value to information from a foreign government. In fact, he even referred to it as, oh, it's no different than oppo research. <laughs> well, politicians 
pay for oppo research yes. they pay a lot of money for that yes and i think the fec had to weigh in following the president's comments to make it very clear that this would in fact be an illegal act and so uh maybe the president just learned the hard way um but now he's had a lesson that we hope he'll abide as we approach this next election and of course one thing we've heard uh, a lot on capitol hill this week this has added a lot of fuel to the impeachment fire even senator amy klobuchar who as we know is running for president would seek to replace him she now says the impeachment process should begin largely because of what he just said. Well, I mean, if she's saying that she supports impeachment because of something that he might do in the future, not a high crime and misdemeanor that he has previously uh, um, perpetrated, then that's in, in, improper. And that's just her saying, I'm running for president. Which way is the wind blowing? Okay, now I have to be in favor of it. That's in, an improper reason for her to support this. Um, so that's... And I don't know what her thinking is. That's my guess is... She's going, look, if he's still saying this stuff now, then maybe he did do something improper while in office. Well, I think Senator Klobuchar is following the Mueller report to its next logical conclusion. You know, he made it very clear that he had no power to take action on these issues and really handed it to Congress to take on its constitutional duties to continue investigating, which is what she talked about, and also used it as an opportunity, given the president's comments, to reinforce the need for election security, which should be something that could be an area of bipartisan agreement. All right. Well, we'll be looking for that bipartisan agreement. It's hard to find in Washington these days or in St. Paul or just about anywhere. Sometimes even here, although you two did agree a little bit today. So thank you, Brian and Andrea. Up next, see how the Vikings are tackling hunger here in the Twin Cities. This weekend has been all about Joe Maurer in Minnesota. Friday was Joe Maurer Day in the state. And on Saturday, the Minnesota Twins officially retired Maurer's number seven jersey. More than 30 Twins alumni took part in pregame ceremonies Friday and Saturday to recognize the St. Paul native's contributions to his hometown team. Congratulations to Joe and his family. The Minnesota Vikings are joining the fight against food insecurity in Minnesota. This week, the team unveiled Vikings Table. The 38-foot custom-built food truck will serve nutritious meals from June to December on a bi-weekly basis. They will go to schools, summer education programs, and youth centers across the metro where childhood food insecurity is an issue. This is the first generation tracking to have a shorter life expectancy than their parent generation but through physical inactivity and poor nutrition. And that right there is a statistic enough to make you want to do something about it. Vikings Table was funded by the Minnesota Vikings Foundation and XL Energy. We would like to see what you have to say about Ad Issue. Just write to Issue at kstp.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for my name, Tom Hauser, or Ad Issue. You can also find me on Twitter at thauserkstp. And you can find episodes of Ad Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the Ad Issue page at kstp.com. That is all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of Ad Issue.